welcome back to another episode of De Stefano Talks. My guest on today's episode is none other than Tam Cowan, the host of the BBC's Off the Ball alongside Stuart Cosgrove. During the episode, we talk about Tam's career, how he got started in the media industry, how moving from newspaper to radio was a big step up for him. Uh, We also speak about the positive and negative impacts that social media can have on any journalist's life as it is a key component of the job. Uh, Tam also reveals some exclusive news today, Stefano Talks. We're not going to tell you what it is. We're not going to tell you where it is. You just have to keep listening to find out. Uh, And we also talk about Tam's time where he was out reviewing restaurants uh, for a newspaper column, something that I didn't know he did until I was doing my final bits of research. Um, but as I say, an absolutely amazing episode of De Stefano Talks with none other than Lanarkshire's most famous son, Tam Cowan. Tam, how are you doing today? I'm very well, except I'll need to argue about Lanarkshire's most famous son when you've had uh, Keir Hardy, uh, Gary McAllister, Ian St John, um, Ian Ferguson, the one that opened their scoring in the 91 Cup final, also played for Rangers, Dundee United, Dundee, Harps. Uh, so I am well done the pecking order there. <laughs> okay, um, glad to have you on the podcast. I remember um, the the nerves I had when we were in the new century in Motherwell for that that charity do in January. The, the nerves I had coming up and asking you to come on the podcast, but I'm I'm glad to. Have oh, that was you. That was me. Hi. Ah, right. It's all coming together now. I remember at the the upstairs, but in the Q and A with the with, who was there? It was Stephen Robinson, Liam Grimshaw, Richard Alan, Tate, and Alan Campbell. Alan Campbell, aye. All right, I, I, I didn't know that was yourself. With, with the best small in the world, as you can perhaps understand, particularly during lockdown, when I think even my ma, who's 81, has been doing a podcast, but everybody has been having a go at them. So, as you can perhaps imagine, I've been asked today quite a few. But I've, I've, no, I've no knocked one back yet, because when I was... A young guy uh, and getting starting getting involved in the media. And I had a had a lot of people that helped me out in a variety of ways. So uh, I feel it's my duty today, likewise with with any of you boys. Now, well, as I say, I really appreciate that. Um, I suppose talking about when you started in, in the media, what was it that interested you in in, in that kind of career path? Uh, what interested me is simply the fact that English was my number one subject at school and I enjoyed writing. And uh, I got into the media via my writing, if you like, because I'd started out writing uh, sketches and jokes for some radio and TV programmes. And I'd got a, an interest at that first uh, when I was in sixth year at Braithurst High School in Motherwell. And it was in the back of that. Uh, a fledgling script writing career that uh, got me a start with the Evening Times in Glasgow, um, a wee strip column, one a week, starting in 1991, which was a great year uh, for me to start as a columnist because uh, when you're a a novice, you might think, God, am I going to have something to write about every week? Am I going to be faced with a blank page and that? But because that was the year that we had the the legendary cup one, then 
uh, round by round. Uh, there was always plenty of stories that popped up, uh, plenty of great games uh, for me to write about, plenty of experiences uh, with me going to all these games right up to the final, uh, going with my mates. So, aye, it was a great year for me to start in that. And then in uh, 91, about a year later, they gave me a second column in the paper. A year later, I got a third. So between 91 and uh, 98, when I left to my big uh, kind of my big money transfer move, if you like, to the Daily Record. I'd seven terrific years at the evening time. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I, I had plenty of words in the paper, shall I say, uh, having ended up with the three columns a week. So a lot of hard graft, but it was invariably always uh, the football that I was writing about. And I was always able to have a laugh about it. And I had a very long leash in the respect that my, my sports editor and my the editor of the actual newspaper uh, always let me away with murder. They said that as, as long as you're putting the effort in, as long as you're always trying to make it light-hearted, you can say whatever you want, obviously within reason. And where I want to watch as well as a Motherwell fan, when you're in a, a Glasgow paper, ostensibly a Glasgow paper, uh, which was primarily aiming at Celtic and Rangers fans in terms of who they wanted to buy the paper, um, then with me being a Motherwell fan who could roll in a wee grenade about Celtic and Rangers, that was actually good for business, as I was always told, because if you went through a wee period where Celtic were rotten and they were the butt of everybody's jokes, if I was absolutely slaughtering them, uh, you would actually at the time get mere Rangers fans buying the paper. Like, oh, do you see what Cowan was saying about, you know, John Barnes being their manager? Or do you see what Cowan was saying about, you know, uh, you know the, the Fox running onto the pitch or Fergus McCann or whatever it might have been? So, and vice versa. When Rangers were having a hard time here, uh, you've got a lot of Celtic fans who would, who would love kind of reading your columns and that. So I was perfectly pitched as a Motherwell fan working for what was basically a Glasgow paper. So it was a really, really good grounding I had. And uh, I, I always look back fondly in that period in my life, that period in my career. And do you ever like envisage that your career like took off in the way that it did? Uh no, and that I've been very, very lucky doing something that I love uh, for my work uh, right throughout my life. I mean, I've now kind of had a, a, a kind of a thirty-year career now in the media. I haven't started early. I'm fifty-one now, but I was able to start with Evening Times at twenty-one, and you know, in that time, I had uh, I've had eight years, as I say, seven years with the Glasgow Evening Times. I then enjoyed sixteen years with the Daily Record, which for me was always the paper in Scotland growing up. That was the one that my dad would bring him in his pocket when he'd finished his shift at Honeywell's and he'd give me out the folded up Daily Record at quarter to five when he came in and I would devour it page by page. And then after the Daily Record, I left there my kind of Mo Johnston move, uh, going for the Daily Record to the Scottish Sun, where I enjoyed uh, six years there. Uh, before, sadly, the the whole economy of newspapers uh, was a very, very delicate subject, and I was maybe an expensive luxury uh, when newspaper uh, print sales uh, were really, really taking a battering. I mean, it was 
things then get really, really desperate during lockdown, the COVID-19 era when people simply weren't going out their, their house to buy a, a paper for the garage, for the news agents or whatever. So I, I, when I look back, I had great, great times. I enjoyed them. I would still love... I would still love, and I wouldn't even be hard to deal with because it's in my blood, I would love to go back to another newspaper uh, to do a bit of writing because it's something that I've enjoyed doing for 30 years. Uh, you know, I look I look about at other newspaper columns and I think, you know, I would have a wee bit of faith in my ability. Uh, I would put the shift in. Uh, but it's just at the papers, and now they've not got any money, simply. So I'm happy with my lot just now. But to answer your question... Um, the, the, I, I, I kind of took a, a strange route into what um, I ended up doing because, as I say, other than English being my, my favourite subject at school and being quite keen in all sorts of creative writing, I, I didn't think that one day I'd end up you know, hosting uh, a national radio show, hosting TV shows, etc., etc., and being columnist and three big newspapers so no I did I, I probably never thought that was uh, going to happen but the, the only thing that I would say is I just get my head down with any opportunity that ever came around I, I always just tried I don't think I've personally got any special uh, great skill or anything like that but any boss that I've ever worked for I, I would like to think they would say that I, I had always grafted and always put in the work and put in the preparation, which is maybe why I'm I'm still kicking about now, thirty years later. You were saying there about newspapers and about how um, you know the they've kind of came to the, this sort of precipice of the, the unknown. Do, do you think that that is down to the fact that more people are getting their news online and, and aren't going out to buy a paper or? Is it just saying of the times? Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly that. I mean, it's the same reason that, you know, that you don't see any blockbuster video shops on the high street anymore. You know, I mean, in the 80s, tipping into the 90s, that was a regular Friday or Saturday night thing for me. Um, I, I don't even know if you'll recall where the, like, the blockbuster video shop was in, in Motherwell, but it was up near the end of the precinct, opposite what was then uh, the Asda, before they moved out of town across the road. But you had the blockbuster video shop there, and you'd get in Friday, Saturday night, you'd try to get up as sharp as you could to six o'clock because six o'clock was a deadline for bringing tapes back for the previous night so if you went in at six there'd been a, a, a lot of the copies of the really uh, recent the really current films that they had for hire and that was a big event but of course the reason that you don't see blockbuster video the reason that you don't see video recorders is because we've moved on and you've now got you know you've now got satellite telly you've got sky movies you've got netflix You've got Amazon Prime. You've got you've got everything, you know. So it's much the same with the newspapers. The very uh, I'm seeing a bit folk no, uh, you know, during lockdown, no leaving their homes to go and buy a newspaper. Um, you know, folk don't need to leave their homes now. You could go into the Daily Record website. You could go into the Scottish Sun website. You could go into the the New York Times website and and find out what's happening in the Big Apple. So yeah, it's I mean, it, to, to all intents and purposes. Um, uh, you know, and I've spoken to media colleagues about this. It's it's actually astonishing how many newspapers are still being sold in print format because I actually thought the circulation figures would be a lot less 
than they are now uh, because folk can just read the paper effectively on their phone. Um, so maybe it's tribute to, I mean, there's a lot of great, great talent uh, involved in, in putting newspapers on the, in the news, news agent shelves. And there's a lot of great guys that I know, great colleagues, great former colleagues that I know who are really, really uh, skilled operators, really, really talented writers. And yeah, because it's been my blood, I still get, uh, I think it's about six or seven newspapers that I get delivered to my door every morning because I'm a fiend with newspapers. I love uh, still reading the newspapers. I still, I still think they're the best format to get a newspaper in. What people can be guilty of, if they look at a newspaper online, they maybe only look for the news they're looking for. For example, if you were a Motherwell fan, you would look you'd spill through for whatever they're saying about Motherwell. Uh, whereas if you read a, a paper, any paper, front to back, uh, you would get quite a broad um, idea of what's going on in Scotland. I was going to say that day, but of course that's the problem. The previous day, you'd get an idea of what was going on in Scotland. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm still a, a big, big newspaper fan. And I'm, I'm quite distraught at the state of the industry just now, because I've always loved them, and yet I make no bones about it. I would, I would love to get back into a newspaper. I think for me, as someone that's obviously grown up and, and wanting to be a, a, a journalist um, and certainly work in the media industry, for me it is sad to kind of see the, the way newspapers are going. It is dwindling because I remember growing up um, as, a, as a wee guy and on a Saturday or Sunday, my granny or and granda would have the paper and it would be in their lounge and they would have, I don't know, they would have the Guardian, the Financial Times, whatever. And you you kind of miss that feeling, I suppose, of flipping through the, the paper and each individual page. And now it's just all on, on your phone. It's all digital. It's like a different feeling to it for me. Yeah, I mean, I know there are, there's, um, what's it called? Press, press Reader. I don't know if you've heard the Press Reader. Uh, but that is a website, a subscription website. Uh, you can go into that and you get all the papers almost in a newspaper format so that when you tap in the screen or whatever, it's like turning a page and uh, you're, you're able to get almost the paper in print form but on your phone. Uh, so that might be the kind of middle ground. But, you know, the, the alarming thing is, I was asked uh, fairly recently at a, a college in uh, Glasgow to speak to media students. I was invited uh, by one of the lecturers to do like, a wee chat and then a wee Q&A uh, with the media students. And my first question was, and there was maybe, I don't know, 45 kids at this thing. And my first question was, I said, right, let's start. Could you raise your hand? if you bought a newspaper today or indeed this week. And I kid you not, there was maybe three hands went up in a room of 45 people. And these are uh, media students as well, but they'll be only too aware that they'd be able to have got all their news by switching their phone on uh, first thing in the morning. And, I, and again, that's the big thing. The, new, the print newspapers effectively it's they're offering kind of uh, all of yesterday's news today it is of course going to be a day out of place the the newspapers have, have gone to print probably by 11 o'clock half 10 11 o'clock the previous night and 
a lot of editors, of course, praying that nothing major happens through the night. I mean, there's been all sorts of stories about that in the past uh, where there have been major news stories. The best example is maybe Princess Diana, um, who, of course, was, was pronounced dead in the very, very early hours of the morning, maybe, I think it was at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. And because of the magnitude of that news story, uh, there were a few newspapers that brought out, they went back to print, they brought out a special edition that day uh, to try to keep up to date. And the great thing about that was they weren't even back in that era when uh, Princess Diana was killed in the car crash. They weren't even really competing with um, with social media, uh, which of course had they wouldn't arrive for another what would that have been seven or eight years. Yeah. Uh, but even then, they wanted to get a special edition. Of, and again, you know, don't get me wrong; it had been a business decision as well because pre-social media, if people who were so wrapped up in that story the Princess Diana uh, tragedy, they would have loved nothing more than to rush out that day and be able to buy another newspaper that day, a newspaper which I dare say if they kept in a bottom drawer in good condition would later become um, quite a souvenir item. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing to think how things have changed uh, since then. But I wasn't surprised, shall we say, that only three of the 45 media students that I spoke to uh, were, were buying newspapers. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, I, I would, when you were saying that, I was expecting you to maybe say one, but three, I, I think three in the, the current time is, it's kind of a good good thing. Um, just maybe wish it was more. Um, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of social media then, how important do you think social media is for people that are in the media, um, so for, for journalists or presenters? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, whilst I am not personally on Twitter, I am what Stuart Cosgrove loves to call a lurker uh, because I have got the Twitter app on my phone, but the account is my wife's and I put it on my phone just to me, just for me to use almost for research. Like if we've got somebody coming on our show on a Saturday, I'll give you an example as I'm speaking to you just now. Uh, we've just finished our lunchtime programme on a Saturday at two o'clock there. And we had uh, a young uh, stand-up and actress, Rachel Jackson, from Edinburgh, on with us. And other uh, than seeing uh, the odd wee clip of uh, Rachel on a couple of late-night comedy shows, I didn't really know too much about the girl, but I was able just to uh, put her name into the wee search engine on Twitter, and then I get loads of stuff coming up about her. So t- Twitter, in that respect, for me, has been very important. And I know for a fact, whereas once upon a time, when Twitter and indeed social media was still in its infancy, I know that a few newspapers, the directive from the editor or from the management of the newspaper was keep the good stories for the print edition of the newspaper on sale in the morning so that people will buy the newspaper. Don't give away anything the night before or you may... you know, you, you, you may kind of put people off buying the paper in the morning because it's old news they're getting. But that uh, strategy changed 
a good number of years ago. Uh, if, if you had a big story now, before there was a danger of anybody else getting the story, a rival media person, a rival newspaper, then the journalists were encouraged just to get the story out there as an exclusive for you, for the paper, but on social media, so that you established the fact that it was you who had this exclusive story. So that's just another um, way that the, the world, and certainly the media world, is changing. But, you know, it's massive. It's uh, The social media now is huge. I mean, I, I was a self-confessed uh, technophobe for a long chunk of my life. I shied away. And then it was only just over a year ago that I dipped my toe in the murky waters of uh, social media by starting out on Instagram. And my Instagram has now gone uh, pretty big uh, just because I spend a wee bit of time on it. Always try to keep it light-hearted. And uh, particularly during lockdown, uh, I, I, I did put a lot of effort into it and just tried to have a laugh uh, with people that were tapping into it, people that were following me. But previous to that... You know, Facebook, Twitter, nothing like that interested me at all. Um, but just for going on holiday uh, last year, uh, last summer, when I was away for uh, three weeks in Florida, I thought, right, I'll have a go at Instagram and I'll keep a wee photo diary of my holiday and I'll see how I got on with I'll see if I enjoy it. And if I do, I'll keep it going when I come home. And I did. And I've kept it going. And it's been good fun. But uh, because, as my nearest and dearest will appreciate, I've got a very thin skin. Um, <laughs> I, I just couldn't go on Twitter. I couldn't do it. Because the example I would give you is that uh, when I my very first post on Instagram was the classic cliched shot of me sitting on the aeroplane at Glasgow waiting to fly to Florida and the wee picture taken outside the, from inside the plane, outside into the rain-lashed uh, Glasgow airport. And a wee post along the lines of, well, hopefully this is the last rain I'll see for three weeks, something like that, right? Now, the response to that immediately, the very first respondent, incidentally, was Alan Preston, my uh, my pal in here at the BBC, and he said, wow, I can't believe Tam's on Instagram. And then the next person maybe said, oh, great to have you on Instagram, Tam. Enjoy Florida. The next one comment down says, I hope you have a great time with your wife and daughter. Now, I know for a fact, and you know what I'm talking about here, if that had been Twitter, I had signed up for. And I'd said, right, that's me. I'm joining Twitter. Uh, hope I don't see any rain for three weeks. The first comment would probably have been on Twitter, I hope your plane crashes, you fat, specky, motherable bastard, you know, uh, because Twitter is entirely different. Instagram is nice, lovely, friendly, and you can have a laugh with it without having to worry about blocking people, pests, nuisances, vermin, without you having to do that every day of your life. So I'll stick with Instagram. I have to say you've made me laugh there. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying because I, I feel the exact same um, with Twitter. I, I, for me, I feel it can be a positive place at times. It, it can be somewhere that you can interact with people, meet new people, and it's, it's great. But, but then it's also this, especially with Scottish football, you, you, you get... You get into it quite deep, and then the deeper you go, there's these strangers and strange creatures that come out of nowhere and start giving you abuse. It's 
it's mental, and I have to say, I, I, I prefer Instagram um, over Twitter uh, on most occasions. Um, yeah. I definitely see what you're saying there. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Made me laugh that. And it can be a force for good as well. I mean, I started with lockdown in March. Um, I've got loads of pals and colleagues and friends out there who are in the, the pub industry, they're in the restaurant trade for the 21 years that I've reviewed restaurants. Uh, right around Scotland and I started a wee thing way back at the start of lockdown where these places were putting up prizes for me which we were giving away on a week by week basis on my Instagram uh, for NHS workers, for frontline workers, um, anybody who'd done us a good turn in these troubling times and that really really took off, it was magnificent and a lot of folk, a lot of great businesses, a lot of uh, cracking restaurants, all sorts of people car wash firms, the lot, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, they were, they were putting up prizes for me to give away to these uh, people, and that really, really took off as well. It was terrific. And as I say, it was a, it was a force for good. It was something that was kind of quite positive. And uh, something that, you know, it certainly took my mind off uh, lockdown and off missing out on a lot of work um, at the time, because that, that, that can quite easily get people down. I mean, I, I hate to think what the the general mood is going to be like in the country when when um, when the furlough scheme comes to an end. I think there's going to be a lot of hardship there. Mm. And, uh, you know, I really fear for what it's going to do uh, to people's lives, to people's mental health. So I must be honest, for somebody like myself who, I mean, I've, I've, I, I, I do a lot of uh, work, uh, on stage with a microphone in my hand at a variety of events and theatres on stages and clubs at football events. I do a lot of corporate stuff, whether it's for companies or whether it's for award ceremonies. And all that in my diary has been wiped out since March. But because I'm able still to do my radio shows, because I'm still able to do other bits and bobs with Radio Scotland, I've done some stuff with Peter Martin's uh, company PLZ Soccer, I do a day a week for them. Then I've been, I've been maybe one of the the the, the luckier uh, people, um, in that I've still got some money uh, coming in. Uh, but for the people that don't have that, uh, I really, really do fear for them. And I must be honest, I'm not trying to be looking for an MBE or anything here. But if there's people that are a wee bit down in the dumps and they day tap into your Instagram or whatever, and you're clearly just trying to have a laugh, whether it's with the posts that you're putting up or the wee daft storyboard stuff. I mean, I've got folk out there who follow me who send hundreds, and I mean hundreds, every day of uh, wee jokes and stuff to put up on Instagram. And one of my, almost one of my hobbies now uh, for the wee storyboard, if they send you a joke or something, I love putting these up as a story and trying to get the correct song to accompany the gag, uh, and I'm, I'm 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 I've almost got OCD about that now. I'm absolutely obsessed, uh, and I love having some fun with that and spending a couple of hours on it every day. So, aye, that's Instagram social media uh, has been good for me. But you could argue that because of social media, that's the reason financial reasons that I currently find myself without a newspaper. Uh, this is the first full calendar year since 1991, so a long, long time, and it's all down to social media. 
No, that de- definitely. Um, your stories on Instagram are hilarious. Um, if anybody hasn't seen them or haven't followed you on Instagram, then you know they need to because some of your stories are just brilliant. Now, there's there's one thing I didn't know about you when I was doing my research. You know, because that's what I do, and I'm bringing guests on. I did my research, and I found out that you were a restaurant critic. Now. I didn't know that. Restaurant reviewer. Restaurant reviewer. Reviewer. And um, I always, always used to correct folk when they said that critic. Critic is a horrible word. I think you can be a critic. Of so- you could be an opera critic, I think, if you had been an opera singer or a conductor in an orchestra or if you were a proper opera buff. And by the same token, I think you can be a restaurant critic if you had been involved in the restaurant industry. I'm a restaurant reviewer because when I started doing that in uh, 1998, uh, from the week I joined the Daily Record and they, they gave me that gig in the Daily Record magazine, I was asked to get into restaurants and write up a report on them uh, as a punter, as Joe Bloggs. And 99.9% of people who get into restaurants, they are Joe Bloggs, you know. Mm. And they're only really caring if the meal's okay, if it's no too dear, it's a nice place you're sitting in, the food's pretty decent, blah de blah de blah. You know, it was a good experience. Kind of, and that is the approach I always took with my restaurant reviews. I wasn't there to overly analyse the style of cooking or the quality of ingredients. Um, I, I would leave that to other people who, frankly, would have known what they were talking about. I was there as a punter. 100%. I was there as a punter and as somebody who, at the time when I was asked to review the restaurants for the Daily Record, I was some. I was a single man. Uh, I was working. I was. I had. I was at a real good period in my working life. So because of that, being single, having a couple of quid in my pocket, I had a really good, really active social life. A lot of which involved going to restaurants. So you know, I ticked all the right boxes for my editor and that's why he gave me the gig and it became a hugely successful gig. For the first time in my relatively uh, short career by that point, uh, from 1991 through to 98, the only thing anybody spoke to me about in pubs and restaurants, if they happened to recognise me in the street, uh, was football. That was that, Motherwell football, Motherwell football. And then for 1998, suddenly, all these people were asking me about restaurants and where I was going that week, where I had been the previous week. Is there a restaurant I could recommend to them because it was a birthday coming up, uh, their mom and dad's golden wedding anniversary. Where do you recommend in Edinburgh town? Where should I go in Glasgow? So it was it was something that kind of took over my life. And even though in the last year, um, I mean, I stopped officially being, if you like, a newspaper restaurant reviewer. Uh, that would be last summer then, when I finished up with the, with the Scottish Sun. But I've kind of kept it going in, 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 in some shape or form on Instagram, uh, because I still got a load of folk who ask me to go along to their restaurant uh, to see what I thought because they respected my opinion and I think they respected the fact that the people who follow me on Instagram are perhaps the same sort of people that they're looking to attract mm-hmm. uh, to their restaurant. So I've had a ball doing that. Um, I've been in all sorts of places recently through in Edinburgh, uh, doing an Ayrshire, 
Uh, I was scheduled to go up to a place in Aberdeen last week, but only when the COVID figures started been on the rise again, I thought, well, that's probably, that'll be frowned upon for Aye. a man who enjoys a, a weekly conversation on the radio with Professor Jason Leach. I didn't want us to come out the end of the, the virus when we get a vaccine. And the first thing is that Professor Jason Leach wants to uh, come to my front door and give me a boot in the boss for, for breaking rules and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, and, and you know, all joking aside, I need to be careful with that as well. I mean, I've, I've been very, very diligent when I go out and about, I still try to maintain a fairly active social life, but I tend to only go to places that are uh, that are kind of within, uh, you know, a, a fairly small radius mm. of where I live, and it's places where I know they're following the rules, run by people who I know personally. Um, and again, I wouldn't want to be out there and, and flouting any of the rules and somebody take a sly wee picture of me on their iPhone and sending it into the BBC and saying, oh, you know, has Tam no learned anything from Aye. listening to Professor Leach week after week here, here, here? I saw him. He was sitting at his table in the restaurant. When he went to the toilet, he didn't put on his mask. When you're meant to put on your mask. I mean, that, that's the great thing. We're having the Professor on your show almost every week since March. Uh, uh, a lot of the knowledge has kind of seeped uh, through my brain, you know, it's it's in there somewhere. So I've been very, very good on the COVID uh, safety rules, if you like. So I, I would be careful, but I, I still do get out and about. I enjoy that. Um, but that is probably writing reviews, proper 1,000, 1,200-word reviews of restaurants that I did for, goodness, 21 years I, I, I probably kind of miss that as well. If we're doing that for so long, I, I would probably be in my element because I love food. It's uh, yeah, something. Aye. Well, listen, what you'll need to get tapped into because I'm, I'm, I'm sounding here as if poor me, poor me. I don't do any restaurant reviews anymore for the newspapers, but what I have just had commissioned, this might even be an exclusive for you. I don't even know if it is, but um, if I told them else about that shit, I don't know if I have. But anyway, I've just had a, a BBC uh, food podcast commissioned, uh, which we're, uh, we're kind of starting work on right just now. And that'll involve me talking to a lot of the, the movers and shakers in the Scottish food industry. Uh, folk who own restaurants, folk who supply restaurants, uh, celebrity chefs, etc., etc., etc. So I'm, I'm looking on that as being my replacement for writing uh, the restaurant review. So I'm quite excited about that, and I can't wait to get started. Well, that, that's given me something else to listen to. I love listening to podcasts, so when it's out, I'll, I'll certainly add that to my library. Good. Um, well, look, it's going to be called Scoff the Ball. That's going to be called like Scoff the Ball. Uh, and uh, obviously that's to hopefully grab some off-the-ball listeners as well. Uh, and that was actually the kind of subheading, if you like, of my last newspaper restaurant review. Uh, but I, I was told that legally we're allowed to keep using that title because a year had passed since my last one. It's amazing the stuff that lawyers have to look at. But yeah, so we're, 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 we're kind of started on a wee bit of the research and stuff with the team at BBC Scotland. I'm working with that on a team up at BBC Scotland Inverness. That's where they're best based. They've done a lot of food kind of projects for the BBC in the past. So they've uh, been handed the task 
of doing the podcasts with me. So you can stay tuned for whenever they come out. No, we definitely will. Um, I've got two two final, well, two more questions, and then and then that's us. Um, okay. Done off the ball with the BBC for uh, I think over twenty years. I think twenty six years. Off the ball started in ninety four. Um, how did that move come around? Because you were at the Evening Times, as you said. So how, how did the move to the the BBC come? Well, around? when I tell you, you'll think, ah, that was that was pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. Because I was doing these kind of tongue in cheek, light hearted columns with jokes in them in the Evening Times, and it was an era when the papers were at their height. And off the ball, 94, if you think 1994, that's four years before the internet, four years before Google. So the paper still had a massive, massive audience. And here was this guy called Tam Cowan writing three columns a week in the Evening Times, taking the piss out of Scottish football. And Radio Scotland were going to start doing a show, kind of taking the piss out of Scottish football, light-hearted look at the game. So I was one of the contenders who uh, was spoken to by the producer of the programme, and uh, I was invited to be one of the guys on the first year. Now, as I say, the first year of Off the Ball, it was very different to what the programme is now. The presenter was Greg Hempel, who, of course, went on a uh, tune of fat, still game fame. And uh, one of the other guys that was on alongside me at the other end of the desk was Sanjeev Kohli. Well, Paul Sanj, who of course went on a still game success and all the rest of the 101 other things. Um, <coughs> so that was the first year of Off the Ball when mm-hmm. I'd been noticed via my Evening Times columns. And we had a great laugh that first year. It was something very, very different. Uh, but at the end of the first year, Greg and Sanjeev, by their own admission, weren't they really kind of die hard big football fans? Whereas me, I was a model season ticket holder by that point. I'd had my season ticket already uh, for about 13, 14 years or whatever it had been, and I've still got it to this day. So I was the kind of dyed-in-the-wool football fan. It was on the show. The BBC were wanting to revamp it a wee bit, so they brought in Stuart Cosgrove uh, one year later for a revamped version of Off the Ball Uh, and it was me and Stuart from the outset we met on the first day of the first show we knew of each other but we'd never actually met and they chucked us together and they said right we'll see what happens here what this dynamic is like and we kind of had to ask because uh, we had very similar upbringings both uh, council uh, schemes Stuart and Perth, me and Motherwell. And we, of course, I think crucially to the longevity of the programmes, uh, we both supported what we like to call we diddy teams. Uh, Stuart being St Johnston and me, of course, Motherwell. Uh, so I think that's why it's uh, kept going for as long. Uh, we, we like to have a certain outlook on Celtic and Rangers because we know that previous to off the ball maybe there was a bit too much suki suki stuff in the media directed at the old firm. Uh, we tried to kind of address that a wee bit and because we were doing that then we immediately built up quite a, a hardcore fan base from clubs 
you know, right round the country. And again, it's like going back to the analogy that I gave you with my columns in the Evening Times when I was writing in a Glasgow paper, primarily aimed at Celtic and Rangers fans. It's kind of the same in the radio. If you're taking the piss out of Celtic on a show, then the Rangers fans absolutely love it. And if you're taking the piss out of Rangers on a show, um, then the Celtic fans tuned into off the ball. Absolutely love it. So I think as long as you always spread it, as long as there is no... The word bias always creeps into football and it certainly creeps into the media, creeps into folk mentioning it in terms of referees and all the rest of it. But of course, you'll get accusations of that. The minute in Scotland, if you've got any sort of media profile and you nail your colours to the mast and say you're a Motherwell fan, like I am, you're always... I mean, I incredibly still get it now. I could understand it when I, when I started out. Folks saying, aye, but who do you really support? Aye, you're writing in a Glasgow paper. You must fancy Celtic or Rangers. Every single word that I wrote for the Evening Times in Glasgow between 1991 and 1998 was penned from my bedroom in Motherwell. I was never out of Motherwell when I, when I wrote a column for the Evening Times. And I can assure you, uh, for even the doubters out there, that in all the years now, the 40 years, that's how long it's been, 40 years that I've had a season ticket at Motherwell, Celtic and Rangers, I, I just kind of stick them together, uh, put them in the one box, Mark told for him. I, I'm no religious for him even that tries to get down that road about what fit do you kick away, as they say in Scotland, or what school did you go to? My upbringing did not involve religion, so I, I, I couldn't care about that side of it whatsoever. Um, Celtic Rangers, for me, have been there just to treat the two of them almost the same as the two biggins. In Scottish football, I'll grudgingly accept that they are. Yep, they are the two big clubs in Scotland. They're the two clubs always say that if Motherwell, on the odd occasion it's happened, when you beat Celtic or Rangers, if you're there at Firth Park and you beat Celtic or Rangers, those are definitely the nights where you immediately after the game go for a pint to celebrate, or maybe even it extends to a curry because you've beaten Celtic or Rangers. So always kind of salute them in that respect. And really, really talk up Celtic and Rangers in that respect. But they are still definitely the two teams in Scotland that you always want to beat. I, I interviewed um, Clyde Wins, Gordon Duncan, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he yep. said the same thing. He gets it from Celtic and Rangers fans. Oh, and again, primarily, he'll get it. Sorry to butt in, but of course, because he is on Radio Clyde. The River Clyde that flows through Glasgow. Which bank of the river are you on? Which side of the river are you on when it comes to Celtic and Rangers? Of course, Gordon is going to get pelters for folks saying, ah, there's no way you're a Motherwell fan. You must support Celtic and Rangers. You're on Radio Clyde. And, you know, it's it's a nonsense. It's It's an absolute nonsense. Nah, it definitely is. Um, it's one thing that I feel would really bother me if I, you know, if I didn't support what you know one of the big two. It would, it would eventually bug me. It's like, why, why does it matter what team I support? Like, who really cares? But I suppose well, you know what? We just always have a laugh at. It. I mean, Stuart gets it as well because he's in the media, and he has been for longer than me. Maybe they are, are certainly some people 
can't accept that he is a St Johnston fan. Now Stuart is now, I think Stuart now is 67. Stuart has been a St Johnston fan all his life. He's certainly been going to the games and getting a lift over the terraces when he was a wee boy. So I could I could say that Stuart's been a St Johnston fan for 60 years. Mm. He's never been a Celtic fan. He's never been a Rangers fan. But the minute he started doing a Scottish football show on Radio Scotland, then the doubting Thomases, uh, out they came, uh, accusing them of being one week a Celtic fan, one week a Rangers fan, depending on who you're deemed to have been having a wee go at that particular week. And as I say, whether it's been radio, telly or newspapers with me, I've always mixed it. I have always been at the mercy of, if you, if you like, we're going full circle here. I've always been at the mercy of the newspapers. If it's Celtic that's been getting slaughtered in the, in the newspapers that week, it tends to be Celtic that I would make the butt of my jokes. If it was Rangers that had been having a hard time and they were getting slaughtered in the papers, it would be Rangers that you would tend to have a wee laugh and a joke uh, at their expense. So that's, that's the way I do it. So I can understand why... Uh, we Gordon, uh, Radio Clyde, uh, you know, why you'll have so many folk doubting that he is a Motherwell fan. Um, just a final question um, to, to wrap it up. What advice would you give to anyone out there that's listening, that's wanting to pursue a career in the media industry? Um, well, first up, I could maybe say, if you had a wee niche if you're just talking about getting into the media and if it was a sporting media, if you had a wee niche market that you think could attract some attention, let's say I'll go crazy here, let's say you were a you were a, a polo player, let's say you were for some posh, but let's say you were for Green Acres and Motherwell, right? Uh, you were really posh and you were into polo, you used to do that of a weekend, jumping in the back of your horse and uh, indulging in that. Then maybe try and see if, you know, any of the newspapers, any of the, the radio outlets or TV would take a wee report or a wee story from you, but uh, polo, right? But being slightly more sensible. Um, I mean, when I started, I got a, a summer job uh, at the end of sixth year at high school with the Motherwell Times, with the local Motherwell paper. And uh, they knew that I was interested in the football. So they quickly dispatched me to Gayfield Park of Broth, where Motherwell were playing a pre-season friendly. This was the summer of 1987. And they, they, they allowed me to write the match report of that game. And that was a great buzz. That gave me a great deal of encouragement. So... The, the, the local newspapers, of course, you could argue are having an even harder time than the national newspapers, but the very fact of the matter that work experience, by definition, doesn't pay a salary. You're lucky if you get expenses. You might be doing it absolutely off your own bat and been out of pocket, maybe with bus fares or whatever. But I would still encourage young kids coming through who are interested in getting involved in the media uh, to still maybe write a wee email to the editor of your local newspaper and reminding this chap or lady of how keen you are to get involved in the media. Uh, and they, you might just get a wee chance. They might, they might have a wee assignment for you. Alternately, of course, like like you're doing here just now, uh, podcasts. I mean, it takes 
the very bare bones of technical equipment to get a podcast up and running. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but all you basically need is an iPhone and away you go. You can do a podcast. So uh, they are um, a, a good way in as well. And if you get to have a good podcast, and if you're lucky enough to get really, really good guests that would get you a wee bit of coverage, I'm not putting myself in that bracket, but the reason I've done so many of these since March, when, as I said at the start of this, there's so many young people have started podcasts, have had a go doing podcasts. I've, I've done every one I've been asked simply to try and encourage people uh, the same way that, you know, 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, um, I received a lot of encouragement from a variety of people in, in newspapers and radio and TV. So this is kind of payback for me uh, when I've been asked today podcast. So that's the way that I would encourage young people to get in. I think, I think there's still a lot to be said for the local newspapers. Write to your editor. Tell them all about yourself. Remind them how keen you are and, uh, and that you're willing to work for nothing. Um, and you, that could be a good wee stepping stone. And definitely the podcast. And when you've got confidence, maybe you've got three really good podcasts up your sleeve that you've maybe done with three really good names or it's just been three really interesting people that have helped make a great podcast, then maybe send... Uh, examples of that work, examples of the podcast to radio stations. And you never know, they might have a wee gig for you as well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, as I say. I um, really appreciate it. Um, you're welcome. I'm not taking up too much of your time. No, you're absolutely welcome. That was good fun.